Hello, readers. Welcome to 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author, where we ask authors important questions like, why would you agree to be on this podcast? I'm Kelly Lynn Colby, Editorial Director at Curse Dragon Ship Publishing. Our guest this week is Jay Mazur, writer of dark horror and mental health expert. After spending the majority of her life battling Sasquatches in the Great White North, she migrated south to Texas to have a go at the armadillo. One day, she decided that she had devoured enough words that she could spin a decent yarn of her own. If she's not your favorite now, she will be after. Excellent. Welcome, Jay. Welcome to our very professional podcast. Thanks for having me. You get what you get. That's right. I'll take it. I'll take it every time. So you'd finally read enough words and were ready to create your own. What was the final kick to get you to start writing with focus? Childbirth. <clears throat> childbirth <laughs> okay so i'll start at the beginning this was not my first field i did Wait, I've childbirth? <laughs> my not my own oh I, not okay. my not when i emerged but when my son emerged we won't be graphic that much um but i always wrote stories i actually have a little short story collection i wrote i think it was late elementary early junior high or middle school whatever you call it here um so i always liked writing little stories and i read my mom and dad are both uh huge readers dad always wanted to be a writer so i was it was there anyways um but i went into mental health and education and that's where i worked in canada and then i we were transferred down here and I couldn't work initially. I was on a visa. And uh, then we got our green cards and I got knocked up. It was immaculate conception. I don't do that kind of naughty business. Um, oh, no, never. No. And that's after I had, after I calved my son, I decided that I that's a good time to start writing. And there was a series of Kindle shorts or novellas called uh, the Dead Man series. And they had a little contest um, for Kindle readers to write the next Dead Man series. And I was, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, I was breastfeeding at the time. And so I'm sitting there with my Kindle reading that they had this contest. And I'm like, why don't I try? I did not win. But it was fun to write that. I have this really neat story idea in my head that I've had for many years. And so I just sat down and picked at it. Didn't think much of it. Didn't think, you know, I'm going to actually have a physical book in my hand at any point. Um, And then until I did. So I had many rejections, many rejections. Um, Part of the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I had a story published by Cichlet magazine. And one of the people who had sent me a rejection came back and said we saw your story in cichlet and can you please resend that manuscript and thus landing in eden was born so nice very cool you're like breastfeeding you're like i have an extra hand i gotta do something i mean i have hands and feet and there's enough to be done around this joint so i gotta get to work (laughs) yeah well who were you reading to fuel your imagination at the time of writing or just in general in my whole life I'm going to, here's your generic answer. Everybody can be big mads about this. Everybody get ready to flip your tables. Uh I'm a Stephen King lover. And I love Stephen King since I was little. And I would say that's a huge inspiration for me. Um, I used to love Dean Koontz. I don't, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. I don't love Dean Koontz anymore. I was an early Koontz reader. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And my favorite book of all time was Robert McCammon's Swan Song. Everybody who knows me has heard that at length and they're vomiting right now and they're like, stop. But it's true. And it's kind of a rite of passage because the first horror book I ever read was Watchers by Dean Koontz. And my uncle had passed away. Um, Mm. We weren't terribly close. I shouldn't say that. I was very young. Um, Mm -hmm. And my mom and dad and I were vacationing in Banff in Alberta. And so deep in the mountains in this cabin and dad's like, it's, it was his sister's husband. So he's like, I, I'm going to, I'm, I have to go to this funeral. I'm going to leave you guys here for a few days. And I'm like, you know, as a little kid would be. And he's like, well, here's a book. Keep yourself entertained. And it was Dean Coons watchers. And I devoured that sitting in a cabin in the mountains. So you'd have to know the books. That was very, there was a lot of impact. There. And when he came back, we had like dad daughter book club and talked all about this book. And he's like, and then he's like here's swan song and so that was the second horror book i had read and it i could almost recite every word my sister and i today and she's like 90 something um she's not but i call her that we're in this book club virtually since the pandemic she's in canada we can't get back together um so we have this whole group of people that are in a book club and on our inaugural meeting last year they're like what's your favorite book and zoe and i were both like swan song and she's like, I did not know that. And she's like, it's Stevens too, who's my brother. And I'm like, it's obviously dad's handed that down to us. So we each have a copy that dad had got us. So, That's yeah. awesome. Well, how long did it take you to write your first book? That's a really good question. I didn't know there was going to be homework. Yeah. Did I get an F? Yep. There's homework. I want to say it was a year of a picking. Year? That's not including editing. That's good. Um, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, year kind of putting it together. So that book was probably the most outlined, but I'm definitely a pantser for anyone in the writing world. I like to see where my characters take me. I don't firmly outline. I don't world build. I don't do any of that ahead of time. I just see where the story takes me. But that story, I knew it in my head, like right from start to finish. And if you read Eden, you'll know why that's fairly important. That would have to be an outlined kind of story um but it's so it was a year time was an issue of course I had a little kid at home uh but yeah a a year of picking at it page by page sentence by sentence and at the end the last we'll say three four chapters flew because I knew like you You know where it was ending that climax I'm like am I legit here am I legit writing the last chapters of a book and when I was finished I was like what do I do with this? Like it was, I was baffled, baffled by it. And then I discovered all about synopsis and all that. I'm like, oh, fuck this noise. What is it? It's almost easier just to write another book. I just want to write a story. I don't want any of this mess. (laughs) Ew, the business part. Ew. Uh Ew. Um, Yes. Ew, the business part. Now, don't you work for a magazine? Yes, I do. You are head first into the business part. What can you tell us about the magazine? I love the magazine. I hate business. <laughs> so I guess the magazine, that's House of Stitched. Um, the Stitch Smile publication kind of moved. They're still publishing books, but it's very select. So they're very selective about what books they take. And there is more of a focus now on producing this magazine that is for creators. So anybody can read it. It's really interesting to have the insider view, but it's for writers and artists, musicians, podcasters, poet, just the whole 
gamut. Um, I came in as a columnist and then came on, got promoted, I guess, to acquisitions manager um, and the FAFO officer. I apologize for anyone listening to this and who has come in contact with me, but I'm like the bouncer at a bar (laughs) and I am the security guard for any unfortunate behavior, any super aggressive um, queries, anything that is problematic. I'm like, I'll get a coffee. I'll take care of this. (laughs) Right. So um, I still do. And and by the way, she's downplaying herself because she takes care of it with grace. Thank you very much. I do. I am -hmm. professional. Yeah. I've always been impressed. I will get shorter and more firm the more you go on. We've had a few incidents of that. Um, And I'll just become more clear. I become less gentle and more. You don't need to submit to us. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're going to move on now. Yes, that's it. Have a nice guy mad. <laughs> um, so that's, I still do write a column uh, mm-hmm. or an article for each. And it's nonfiction. It's typically on um, some aspect of mental health and the horror or dark industry. It's not, uh, House of Stitch is not all horror. They do dark fantasy as well. And any kind of dark thriller, suspense, or um, And then I do a weekly blog for their the House of Stitch blog. I do the shocking, I know, but I do the beast of the week. So the folk, the folklore creature horror post. So surprised. I'm so surprised. Weird, right? When they <laughs> came up with the blog, I'm like, I'm just going to say that I'll be doing the creature horror. That's and where can people find House of Stitched? Houseofstitched.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the website. Stitch Smile Publications has links. Anywhere you find them, you'll find them together. Um, Facebook, they have really cool Stitch Saturday writing prompts. Um, the magazine itself, you can find anywhere. So you will find it at Barnes & Noble. Amazon's a really good place to get it. We used to use Blurb. Um, we're finding Amazon just has a quicker turnaround time for people that want the physical copy in their hands. And mm-hmm. the Kindle or e-copy is absolutely gorgeous. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So excited for this venture. Yeah. And so... You mentioned your clinical psychology background. Like, mm-hmm. how much of that education do you use when creating your characters? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> All of it, and I keep it light. I try, like, I mean, it's obviously there. And if you know me and you read these books, you're like, oh, okay, that's pretty smooth. Um, but I try with, especially with my Ramnon books, which is a series of creature horror, each book is a different creature and each book is a different social conundrum or mental illness or something along those lines. So I have a book with the Slua, which is uh, the wild hunt. It's the the soul stealer um, and assisted suicide. So I raveled those two together. And then the next book was the Wendigo and domestic abuse. And then I had uh, Banshees and Substance Abuse and Poverty. And the latest one is Illness and Parenting. And I can't, I'm not going to say what the creature is because that book has yet to be released. So I don't want to ruin no that for the early readers. That's right. Well, the Wendigo and the Banshees and stuff, those are pretty in your face right up front but this creature is a little more obscure i pick creatures from different cultures around the world so this one was a little more i discovered i read it in a short story and i'm like what is this creature so i did some research for a month and i'm like oh yeah oh yes that's 
awesome. Yeah, I actually asked you, I have a question about that, about because you use a lot of, of creatures in your work. Do you mm-hmm. have a favorite? A favorite creature? Mm-hmm. Ooh, all of them. <laughs> um, I think right now pop culture is quite obsessed with the Wendigo. Mm-hmm. I do like the Wendigo. Um, that originates from the area which I originate from um, in the Rocky Mountains. I'm on the Canada side, but that was a fairly big legend up there. So the Wendigo has a fascinating history with the indigenous culture up there and how it's got really sociopolitical affiliations when our the Hudson Bay Company moved in. And winters were long and hard and there was forced migration. And I mean, yes, this stuff happened in Canada too. You know, um, there were instances of cannibalism and it's not as... Like, that sounds awful, and it, it was awful, but it was out of necessity. It's not, people were not murdering each other. Um, but the indigenous populations and their forced migrations, this was known to happen. It wasn't widespread, but it did happen. Um, and the legend of the Wendigo, of course, got tied in. There was a man or human who was greedy. Uh, it was a cautionary tale, of course. Uh, but if you consumed human flesh, you would be cursed to become the Wendigo. And traditionally, the Wendigo does not have the horns. There's no horns. It's just really? like an elongated, starving-looking man, ghoul-like creature that can never be satisfied. Like, they can, they can never consume enough. Um, we had a real-life notorious killer. I keep wanting to call him a serial killer, but he doesn't fit that criteria. Swift Runner, and I mentioned him in the Consumed, in the Wendigo book. Um, Swift Runner was a member of the Northwest Mounted Police, which is now the RCMP or the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and he went north with his family um he was Algonquin I believe um and then he came back to the uh, Northwest Mounted Police shop in central Alberta and he's like oh sucks my family froze to death and they're like cool so he had a wife and five children and they're like cool 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 um so they they just believed him and moved on they did not uh and they found the family and I don't know what we're rated here. I'm not going to tell you how they fell in the family. But in the end, Swift Runner said, you know what? I'm Wendigo. I became a Wendigo. And this is what the spirit of the Wendigo possessed me. And I had to eat my family. So sorry about that. And they're like, no. So he was the first person to be legally hanged in the province of Alberta. They're like, we don't eat. We don't eat. We don't eat our families. That's no, no. not That's not correct. That was not a correct choice. Like we don't. It's not okay. You weren't you weren't actually starving like you're a professional movie inside. Don't eat your family. Although I just tried to eat my son this morning. I said, if you don't smarten up, I'm gonna cook you in the smoker and eat you tonight. He's like, You won't, I won't fit. I'm like, I can cut you up. It's fine. Child services is that's fine. (laughs) I'm sure he's writing a story about it right now and you're the one who gets cut up. It's fine. He is your son. Yeah, he does like to write him a good horror story, so Mm -hmm. And there'll be some farts involved, I'm sure. So many farts. Like, it's unbelievable (laughs) how they work their way in there, but that's like that on his dad. It's fine. (laughs) We get them from both sides, man. We got to have both parents in there somewhere. Exactly, yes. (laughs) Yeah, Florida Kevin says, only eat other people's families. Right. That's right. Like, I feel like it wouldn't be as tasty if you're eating your own. Like, there's something there chemically, right? I don't know. Maybe not as satisfying. Maybe something. But yeah, so the Wendigo is a fascination. Is it my favorite creature? I don't know. Um, There's tons. My mom is Danish. Um, 
I was, my next Ramnon book was going to be about mermaids, but horror, because of course, the little mermaid in Denmark and mom's like, do not touch our cultural icon. I'm like, oh, you don't, I'm not going to cross Marg Mazer. So I'm like, no, I'm not touch the mermaid. Um, so I'm looking at trolls because that's, but that's also actually a nice. horrible story. I think it, it totally works story. as horror. Yeah. Um, but she's like, don't touch that. Uh, trolls are also really big through Scandinavia. So she's like, go ahead and take the trolls. You're not taking the mermaids, but you can take the trolls. So that's what I'm, I'm going to go well, What if the trolls kidnap the mermaids? I mean. I had so many ideas. I actually <laughs> had a reverse little mermaid idea. I did write a story about a creature that doesn't exist in folklore called the Vondhex, which is a Danish translation sea witch. Okay. Um, and it was a woman fish thing but she had uh, tentacles in place of arms and legs so she had four tentacle arms and four tentacle legs so um there this whole mythology around the Vondhex so that may come up in Ramnon I'm not sure I'm trying to stick to more research based like they're fictional stories but I'm trying to use a lot of but you want to use the real fictional story yes I don't want to create a cultural myth that isn't there right so that's not what people are expecting with that but i do the sisters three does feature the vontex as one of the creatures so. interesting yeah. well that's we've talked a lot about the different stuff you have um friday blue wanted to know like if they wanted to start with your horror where do you recommend oh they goodness start? well it depends on what to, if you like creature horror it's ramnon for sure um I do have Crone, but that's a witch story. So it's like kind of a forest hag. Like, I'm not talking, there's no wiggling noses and really cute. Like, you're not going to get Elizabeth Olsen. Like, there's none of that big, beautiful. Bette Midler? Come on. I mean, I'll compromise Bette Midler. No, it's not even that. Like, she's a naked forest hag that eats raw wolf. So it's, she's harsh. That's Crone. Um, Ramnon are not in order. They're standalone stories. There are character crossovers. Um, does it matter which order you go in? Not terribly. The first one I wrote was The Feathered, um, and that is a novella. It's short. It's shorter. It's about 20,000 words, uh, and that's your first initiation into Ramnon, and that features the Slua, which is a creature of the wild hunt. It's a, a bird-like it's they're usually in a group they're usually in a flock and it came around the time of when catholicism shouldered out paganism and when the last whole last rites thing started that the slua was um unbaptized souls dead souls that were and they would fly in and grab the soul of a person before they could be read their last rites so i thought what if these are individuals like what if they end up they got to go home at the end of the day. Like these things got to clock out. Like it's not all business. Like right. there's got to be some sort of margarita. Like they're, they're going there to, has to be. Otherwise something. what's the point, right? Yeah. So they go to Ramnon at the end of the day. And so I have the Sluas, these very large, all female race of bird, like demon women. Um, and we get to know one in particular and they're not, it isn't pleasant. It's really, Ramnon's really ugly horror. Uh, there's no, I don't do torture porn. I don't do, I want to say, I don't do rape. I don't do gratuitous rape. There's no, none of that. I mean, other than insinuation off screen, off page kind of thing. Um, but it's ugly. It deals with death and a lot of real life issues in the form of 
the impossible. So these creatures in a place that couldn't possibly be in a situation that couldn't possibly exist, we deal with a really hard, heartbreaking set of issues. So it isn't, I mean, it isn't the life of Pi or something cheery. It isn't like the secret of Nim, be warned. I know, secret Nim was pretty horrific. It is. I was going to say Watership Down, but that trauma. That one's horrific too. That one scarred me for life. Horrible. Gosh. The things we read when we were little. Right. That's right. We learned. But I like like that you take these, these, you know, monsters, these not real things, but then present things humans actually do deal with. Yeah. So it's almost, I kind of like it because it's, by having it a monster, it feels more conquerable then. Well, and it's not so, it's still pretty intimate, but it's not so intimate as to be unpleasant. Um, I mean, it is pretty unpleasant still, but uh, you may have heard this story. Everybody who knows me is like, oh my God, now it's time to go refill my drink. But how this came about was my dad got cancer. And he was quite ill. And I flew back to camp. My sister phoned me and she's like, it's time to come home. This time, like, that's great. So I went and spent, I think it was three weeks there. And we had lots of chats. I took dad on the last drive where he could drive his car and stuff. And we were sitting there the one day. And he said, you know, he was a huge fantasy, horror, science fiction fan. He's like, so what do you suppose is waiting for me? And so we had this huge three-hour discussion of really cool, like what about this and what about Asimov's foundation and what if like it was this really cool thing and he said you know what I hope is waiting for me is he used to work in a place called Fort Norman he was a he was a teacher and went principal administrator boom 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 Um, back in the day when you didn't need 78 degrees and you know 20 years of school Mm -hmm. so he went up to the northwest territories where nobody wanted to be because it's cold and it's there's not anything there and they had to get all their supplies by bush plane if it could land. And they drank, like, he drank cans of carnation milk. Like I said, I make it sound really terrible. He loved it. He loved it. And started his career kind of in with the indigenous population. Great. So he has some fond memories of Ramnot. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Fort Norman. Um, and so he said, I hope that I get to go back. He said, I hope that I pass through. And I go to Fort Norman and I, he loves Western. So he's like, I hope I walk into the bar there, but it isn't going to be a bar. It's going to be an old fashioned saloon and time is going to go backwards with me. And I'm going to walk in there and it's going to be as familiar as cheers. Everybody's going to know me. I'm going to have a drink and I'm going to walk out back to some magical beyond that you don't get to know about until you come to. And I was like, that sounds beautiful. He's like, AJ, because Amanda J, my name. He's like, can you write that? I'm like, no, like fuck off! You're dying right now. Why are you dying? Don't give then, me an assignment. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, when I got home and all of that had kind of settled, I was like, Fort Norman. I bet I could write Fort Ramnon, um, precisely to Dad's. I, and I mean, he didn't outline what it would look like. He didn't talk about the creatures. He talked about the saloon. And he mentioned specifically, he's like, we don't know where all these things go. Maybe all the vampires needed it. That's where they go. And the werewolves and the fairies and the, so I'm like, well, and so all of that is explained, like the base of Ramnon is set in the feathered. You could start at any book and you will visit Ramnon. It's not, they're all not set in Ramnon. They all sure end in Ramnon. So it's. Yeah, you get a good picture of it in in the first one, and it's a short intro. It's the least brutal of the of the Ramnons. There's trigger warnings to the other three. 
the son's assisted suicide, which was also a discussion that dad was quite frank about in his last few weeks about, you know, I'm just waiting. And it's, it was hard. It was difficult. So, yeah. So much. But that's, that's, but by doing that, you know, you can help other people. Heal. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful. What that it is, is. It's beautiful. Yeah, it was really, it was pretty idea. So, yeah. Yep. Well, I, I wonder, because speaking of where you're like, you, you keep saying, look, there's warnings. Um, You know, read this, but make sure you know. Uh, I like that in your writing, like, so you do a lot of hand-holding when you're talking to readers. But in your writing, you don't. There's yeah. no hand-holding. There's no coddling. Like, it is in there. I have done the hand-holding before you pick up the book. If you right. happen like- across it on Amazon, take a look with your eyeballs at the cover and read the description if you go in there and leave me a, a two-star review mm-hmm. that there it's too brutal that's fine it's actually good pr i <laughs> there is no mistaking these books for amish romance mm-hmm. like visually and you're gonna get what you're gonna get and you're gonna yeah. get i've been very explicit with the back cover blurbs and my present publisher has been very clear about the content with it and with their categories on Amazon about what you're in for. Um, this is, and as a publisher, I mean, you might have run into this too. This is a huge discussion in a lot of the publishing and writing groups on social media is trigger warnings and trigger warnings in the horror community. My argument for this, and this is going to sound very cold and very offensive. I welcome all your messages on <laughs> social is I don't think we need trigger warnings. I think people are responsible in media for being aware of their own triggers and maybe exploring that. Um, I myself have not very many, but I have one or two little mild triggers and I will ask around and see if there's something I don't. I do not like hostile and stuff like that. So if I see something, I'll be like, what are we, is this torture porn? Because I'm not really into that. Mm-hmm. Um but these are more, so the Wailing, which will be coming out in February, deals very graphically with poverty and substance abuse in Cork County, Ireland, where that's a prevalent social issue. Um, and it's there. It isn't pretty. And it's very explicit. Uh, and people will have a, a problem with that. There is an off-page rape scene, which uh, there's no details, but we know that it has happened and we know that it's to an addict um which is we're getting her after reactions from it so that's there um consumption deals with cannibalism obviously uh, it deals with a dead baby um a, a swift runner of course did also consume his infant and that's worked mm-hmm. into that story so i'm like i don't know what to tell you if you read a book about the wendigo someone getting eight i People are getting eaten. And that's, oh, that's to what me, Wendigos are, right? That's what they do. And it's not mm-hmm. the most horrifying part of that story. And people who read it and they're like, we knew we were getting into someone going to get barbecued. Um, but that's not what was unsettling to them. I know that Billy Stewart had, he beta read all the round-ons for me. And he's like, all the really gross stuff is there. Like, there's the horror stuff that you would anticipate from Banshees and Wendigo. But that's not what you think about when you lay down at night. It's that, mm-hmm. you know, the drugs and the abuse and the suicide and the, the all that. I'm like, wow, well, my creatures are very rarely the bad guys. True. They just who they are. They but just, 
discussions. We've had discussions about that, and I actually agree with you. In adult horror, I don't think there should mm-hmm. be trigger warnings, but in YA, that's different. Well, different. And if I that mm-hmm. as a writer, that's a responsibility I have. If I choose yep. to write uh, young adult horror, mm-hmm. I need to know what is appropriate for my age group and what number one, what they want to consume versus what they should be consuming at this time. And I do not agree with censorship. Do not get me started about censoring the books. But proper label is different than censoring. Yeah. Horror is a very different creature. There's very, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, the winner of, I don't, was it Bram Stoker's last year? I think so. The young adult horror book was Clowns in a Cornfield. That is a romping fun book. That is, it's by Adam Caesar or Caesar. If he hears this, I apologize. I don't know how you pronounce that. That is a fun book. And that is definitely YA. The characters are all young high school. So it's drinking at a party and clowns storm the cornfield with chainsaws and buzzsaws and all that. It is fun. I want to read that. That sounds awesome. It sounds so simple. It isn't simple. It's really fun. It is. There's a number two coming out this year. Um, But I can, that book was a really good example for me. If I do want to write this, Mm -hmm. that's what I need. That was more like the, along the vein of Freddy Krueger and those kind of books without, you know, gratuitous sex. Um, But it was good. It was good. It was a good representation of what people that age could read and enjoy. Awesome. Yeah, we talked about like all of your creatures and things that scare us. You know, for trigger warnings for me, I might need something on there about dolls. I have to say uh, dolls are a bit too, that are a bit too real looking. They like terrify me. And I know you've started quite a doll collection. Like okay. Lazarus and the new Two-Faced doll. I don't, I don't know her name. What's her name? Hillary Rose. Okay. So... <clears throat> Chris's Creepy Misfits. That's a very long story. I won't. She does amazing work. Anyway, so I ended up with this doll. I'm not even going to go into how that happened. Um, She is phenomenal. She's huge. She's heavy. Like, when I got the box, I'm like, what what even is this? What is it here? Dion's like, no. Like, yes. (laughs) Yes. And you crank her up in the back and she plays music like a tin. She does not. She does. I don't think it'll pick it up. It's quite old. I don't think it'll pick it up. So I'm not oh, going to tip her all over. No. Um, but it's, I don't collect them. I have three in this room right now that are, one was Mandy Fork. Um, she does conventions around Houston and she painted, or she made and painted Rosa. I don't know where Rosa is right now. Oh, she's on top of the bookshelf. Um, and she's a little undead doll. And it's just a plastic doll repurposed and re, you know, her amazing artistry. It's horrifying. And you squeeze her belly and she has this little kind of laugh, this really weird <laughs> and people love her at conventions. Everyone's like, I want to buy that. I'm like, no. You're like, you can't, she's mine. She's mine. These are all mine. Mine, mine, mine. Um, and Lazzy's not a doll. He's my son. I'm so sorry. My Jessica me. son. Werewolf baby. You know, the we- werewolf babies we see at the conventions. The women carry around. That's what he is. Made by Molly Weeks. If anyone wants a werewolf baby, she will birth it for you. That's awesome. Oh, I didn't realize it was Molly. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. She may- oh, wait, wait. I actually have Lazzy. He's still in his Halloween costume because I'm a neglectful parent. I love his Halloween costume. But he's, yeah, so she makes these little latex and foam. I mean, putting the wolf in the wolf costume, what what more could you want? Well, that's what By the way, anyone not here to see this is missing out. All of you listening to the podcast, we appreciate you, but you should really come see this live. It's more fun. It's it's a spectacle. 
Mm-hmm. It's it a spectacle, spectacle up here. Yes. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, let's see. The dolls. Yeah, we can change the screen now. Zafo actually had pictures he put up, and he can change them because really, they really creep me out. They can go now. There's a reason why I don't write horror. Yeah, I do feature dolls in several of my books, um, not as a subject matter, more as a prop. Um, trying to think where I had the most dolls. I did have doll. No, I had a ballerina music box in Crone because my mm -hmm. mom had one when I was growing up and it terrified me. It was terrible and her leg was busted off. It was fine. Um, oh, no. And I do feature dolls in Chrysalis and Clan, very heavily in Chrysalis and Clan. Like the dolls actually do stuff. So, yeah. So I haven't read that one yet. So I should just leave that one off my list. That's what I'm hearing. That's, uh, it's so when I first met uh, Jessica Rainey and a troop of her people, one of her friends, Spence, that was the book that he picked up. And he read the first two chapters. And then we were at a brewery of whatever it was, three or four months later. And he's like, I didn't finish reading. What is this? I'm like, okay, so in my defense, it's not an Amish. Nowhere on there are covered wagons and people kissing in the rain. Like, there's nothing. And he's like, you disemboweled, eviscerated an entire family, like children in chapter two. I'm like, wait. I mean, I did do that. Um, it happened. It's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm a delight. I'm a fucking delight, except on the page. <laughs> Just let you know. <laughs> you know, I've always said it's a good thing Stephen King writes, because I can imagine where that mind would have went other ways. So, you know, Jay, I'm so glad you write. Yes, right? You know, it is a very healthy way. It's a healthy outlet. And I mean, I love a good horror. I love slashers. I My favorite psychological horror. Weird, I know. Um, so I try and incorporate all that. I do love a good creature horror as well. So. It's really fun. Yeah, I've never seen anyone do it quite like you. It's pretty cool. Hmm. So I'm going to say you're also happy to be a member of the Horror Writers Association. Sure. And what do you think are the benefits of joining professional organizations like these? Oh, boy. <clears throat> Community. Definitely community. Um, there are lots of resources, which is good, and you get discounts on shit, and that's, I mean, that's something too, right? Um, but it is community. And I know that I've read a number of phenomenal, phenomenal horror stories and horror books that I have nominated for Bram Stoker Awards, which only active members can do. Um, so that's to me, the highest compliment, even though these writers are not going to ever know that I have done this. They might not even, if they don't get onto the ballot, they might not even know that people have done this for them. But that is something I feel that's important in, in the writing community. Um, a connection, There's they always talk about news and events. We used to have a Houston area chapter. It's tricky to get everybody together. Thank you, COVID, for that. Yes. Um, if everyone who's listening missed that, I just flipped a not a single but a double bird at COVID there for that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, for on it. is really good. They have the horror university there, um, mm -hmm. mentorship programs, all sorts of stuff. So I'm also a member of HAG, which is the Horror Authors Guild, and oh. they as well same kind of thing. So they do. Um, mentorship programs but resources too or if you have a question they have facebook groups that you can ask hey like i've run into this what do you think or even if it's just about 
a story, right? Like if mm-hmm. you have two different size wings in a story and your, tra- your creature's trying to do this, does this seem feasible? So it's a really good way to connect. Same as like you've said in the past, a master's program um, is it's all about the connections. So yeah. that's membership in these groups is all about the, and it's a goal, right? I mean, you can't just walk in the door and be like, hey, I'm here to fuck shit up. You got to sell a certain amount to get membership in these groups so that was a goal yep. for me when I started out I'm like I'm gonna be legit and I did it so awesome. yeah uh, Florida Kevin says don't make COVID angry um COVID can eat an entire bag of carrots <clears throat> my uh, I don't know what I'm allowed to say on this um yeah no COVID I just I try not to make eye contact with it I'm like leave me alone Go over there. Nobody invited you to the party. I don't have a bouncer, but leave. I, I just want to know why I you said carrots, and that is not what I saw a bag of in my head. Well, that's not actually what I was thinking of. My carrots oh. were pink, fleshy, and veiny. So yeah, that's what I was seeing. So it's it's very I weird. I don't don't know who our audience is here. It's I'm trying never to know. be good. You never know. Encouraging good behavior. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, by the way, Florida Kevin solved your troll problem. Because he said um, he read somewhere that troll was just the word for monsters. Which is true. There are various species of troll in Scandinavian folklore. So So just make the mermaids monsters. I mean, I don't know. I'll send Mark Mazur to you. If I write a mermaid (laughs) story, I'll be like, Kelly and Kevin encouraged my behavior. (laughs) And don't worry, because she'll know the difference. I mean, she made this. She made me. So <laughs> she's aware of where this comes from. <laughs> oh, I can take it. It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, let's see. So Kevin wants to know, are your monsters allegorical? I think we kind of talked about that one. A little bit, yeah. And sometimes. <laughs> um, depends on the monster, too. Some crone. I don't want to give anything away. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, that's left up to your imagination at the end of what actually went on with mm. these women. Um, and sometimes they're just literal. Like sometimes it's just a werewolf that rips a dick off and chokes a pedophile with it. Sisters three, shout out. Just have anyone want to read that mess. Um, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's most of the time allegorical. Lots of the time it's a combination. Like Ramnon's definitely, uh, you will leave thinking what is... What is happening here? What is what here? What is what here? No, I say Crone has one of my favorite lines. Like I looked it up because it's right at the beginning. So I could write it down and make sure I got it right. Where it's, Abby knew there was no witch under the stairs. She forced herself to know, but she didn't quite believe. Yeah. And I love that because that's me. Like I always remember there was a church we always had Girl Scout meetings in. Yeah. And I knew that church. It's a very, it's, it's a Presbyterian church. It's not even like tall Gothic, right? You know, it's fine. There's stained glass. I knew that church. I knew where every bench was. I could walk around it with my eyes closed, but when the lights were out, it terrified me. Yes. Terrified me. I had to walk through, you know, the aisle between the pews to where the lights were. Cause the door you came in, the light switch, of course, was on the other side of the room. Yeah. And I was like, I know there's nothing here. And I would just say it over and over in my head. I know there's nothing here. It's a church. I know where everything is. Everything's fine. Everything's good until I turn on that light. And then finally, that's when I felt good. You can actually see it because yeah. our eyes often tell a very different story than our brain. Right. So yes. trying to put that together. So crone. I don't know if you've heard this story. Again, anyone who knows me, my apologies, 700th time. Um, Crone was actually based on childhood trauma 
that my sister inflicted upon my brother. And whilst growing up, they are the same age, my brother and sister. Um, And she, well, she's a little bit older. She convinced Stephen that there was a witch living under the stairs in our basement in northern Canada. And Stephen was like, he would not go downstairs. And there was a specific story that I was very little, and I remember this, that Dad's like, can you go grab some rolls from the cold storage room? Do you know what a cold storage room is? Well, it's it's a a basement here, right? So it's a... it's a basement with room without insulation. So you go down, you have your basement's carpeted, it's insulated, like you can live there and have whatever. But then there's a room along the outside edges that there isn't insulated, that there's just the dirt around. So it's going to be cold, not mm. to refrigerator cold, but it's going to be cold. Um, gotcha. And he would not go down. So she convinced him this for years and she would hide under the basement stairs and knock on them and <gasps> all that. So like she was a shit. And yeah. he is not on social media. So it's good luck <laughs> defending yourself. Um, she knows the garbage. She's like, I've stayed away. <laughs> yes. And the three of us, Stephen and I did not share a room, but I had his room after he did. Like we were kind of in the same room. And we both had instances of knocking and stuff like that, which is easily explained away. But when you're a child, you have these experiences. Mm-hmm. So I was, th- I don't know how it popped in my head about Faileth and the, the crone story, but I'm like, what if? Zoe was had created a, a legend here. So what if there was something under those stairs? And so I started Crone. I started that book with the Abby, the main character, going down those stairs and saying that there no, there's nobody there, there's nobody there, there's nobody there. Um, but then seeing the eyes and hearing the breath, and we of course follow Abby into adulthood, where you know what? There's something we don't know what it is, but there was not nothing under those stairs. So. Gotta read it. No, I love that line. That one's, I need to like put that up somewhere. It's funny where you find truth sometimes. And that was truth. That was truth right there. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, So uh, now we've talked about tons of books and, and creatures and all kinds of things and stuff inspired by real life. Which of your books challenged you the most? Challenged me the most. Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I had a little bit of difficulty with Ripples of Silence, which is the book that I wrote with my dad. So we, he had the idea for a character. Mm-hmm. And he said, I have this idea for a character. It could be a series. This is his well before he was sick, before he was diagnosed. And he's like, I want you to write this. I'm like, oh, okay. So I thought about it. And then I got back to him. And dad had published several articles in magazines, like nonfiction, about living in the north. Um, and, you know, living in kind of the northern communities and doing all that. He had uh, published a few short stories. So I got back to him and I said, hey, why don't you and I write it together? Like, this is your character and your idea, and this is not my forte. This is true crime. Like, there's no creatures in that story. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, a wing or a tentacle is going to pop out if you leave this scene. <laughs> so, I can't help myself. We talked about it, and we plotted, which I don't usually do. And we <laughs> planned to write this book. And I said, you know, how we'll do this, because we both love crime shows. We both also love the X-Files, all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. said, I'll write a chapter from the perspective of this character. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to email it to you. You have to write the next chapter. 
and email it back to me. And so we went back and forth and and did that. Um, And we were probably three quarters of the way through when dad got sick. And I was like, oh, so that got put on hold. And then uh, during that last visit, like we were so close to the end. And I realized how important that was to him because dad had never published a book. So we sat down and we finished that book. And so that was a challenge uh, because it's more of a like a murder mystery. It's definitely a, a serial killer slash murder mystery. Um, but we got it finished. And with the help of Netherworld Books and the help of Lisa Vasquez, we were able to push everything together with the cover in time for dad to actually have it in his hands. So that was very important. That's that was a tricky awesome. thing for me because it was his story. Um, it was his character and his right. idea. So it was like, but we had a lot of fun with it. We had a lot. Like he would do, he'd be in true Mazer fashion. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, he'd send me a chapter and he'd have this evil laugh. And I'd look, I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? He's like, I don't know, but it's your turn. He's like, I'm like all right, here we go. So it's kind of Welcome like, to my life, the editor side. God, <laughs> like, oh, dad, seriously. And he'd just do stuff to throw me sometimes. I'm like, okay, all right, bitch. We're going to get it back. It's fine. I got you. I got this. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yes, as Zafo says, uh, personally, uh, real life is scary enough for him, so he reads to escape, not to soil his pants. Yes, I understand that too. (laughs) Well, and that's kind of, for me, this is often a question in discussion groups and in academic papers and stuff, is why are people drawn to horror, especially in today's, why are so many people reading The Handmaid's Tale right now? Like, do we not? Um, And that's exactly it. It's escapism in a safe form, right? Like, we are not in the pages of that book. So we can relate which is healthy because we can experience those emotions through another person's brain and eyes and ears and the tactile experience of it all without being that person. Which right. can teach you empathy too. Exactly. We can use so more of that. books are super safe. That being said, and this does not impact me. I do come from a place of privilege. I will preface by saying that, but I am reading Mexican Dirt right now because that's the next book up for our book club, my sister and I, and they picked this, this, gaggle of Canadians and I'm reading this and I'm like I'm really curious how this book club is going to receive this as opposed to I receive this this book is heartbreaking to me and I'm upset with my sister that we are reading this at Christmas time it is an excellent book I don't know I'm yes everybody come at me in my dms it is an excellent book I understand maybe she wasn't the person to write it I'm not going to get into that right now I'm going to finish the book first I have a little bit to go um but it is a story that needed told, and I think it is told well. I'm saying that as a white woman coming from a place of privilege for those who have read American Dirt. So take my opinion for what it's worth. Um, but it is horror that is so real. It's kind of like, ooh, but I can sit back in my comfy chair with my cab sav and experience that to kind of have some empathy for that situation. Mm-hmm without having to lose limbs and actually have to live through that. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, the, the audience is with you. We have both spike at icy hot and uh, Friday blue, all of them listen or read Stephen King, like right before bed, like they're, they're right up your alley. They understand. So Stephen King is, he writes some horror. Um, I would say that his books as of late are not horror, uh, which is, that's not a criticism at all. Um, He just tells a good story. 
I mean, I think it's important to classify him as horror because some of the stuff he does write is quite horrific and you don't want people surprised by it. But his are genreless to me. They are good yeah. stories. You have Misery, which is horrifying, mm-hmm. um, but it is an excellent commentary on mental illness and obsession. You have his latest, Billy Summers, which came second in the Good Years book of the year or horror book of the year, which I was like, that's true crime. Um, but <laughs> it's that is an excellent book, an excellent mm-hmm. book. And line for line, really good uh, on the human condition, aside from the really cool kind of noir crime story he had going on there. So it's just a story. Writers just tell a story, and I don't think we need to think too hard about the why of it. I can agree with you. Yeah. Oh, I lied. Sorry. Zafo and McFly are out. They're like, no, no, no horror for me. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I've only written one non-horror. That is not true. I've only published one (laughs) non-horror short story. I've written romance. I'm not shitting you. Um, But I've only published one non-horror, and it was for Eclectically Heroic through Inklings. It was The Flight of the Crow, which you edited, Kelly. So that was not horror. It wasn't fun. It wasn't funny. But it was just kind of a drama commentary on abuse and escape. So I guess in poverty and mental illness as well, in a really roundabout kind of way. Um, But I also have written in writing contests where they draw your genre for you, New York City Minute. I have consistently drawn comedy, romantic comedy, and romance, and have consistently placed in third, second, and first place. So, Harlequin, here Mm -hmm. I come. Might actually make money this way. I don't know. I mean, really, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I writing things I love? I should just make money. Oh, wait, I know. It's because I can't write anything I don't I can't write any. I couldn't write a long romance to save my life. I had a writer friend from the guild like how long ago was that now five years ago um that challenged me for a NaNoWriMo she was like hey I challenge you to write a romance this NaNo and I'm like bitch don't challenge me to do anything because I'll do it and I'll do it hard and so I wrote started off with this beautiful romance story called Notch and two weeks in I'm like it's so romantic it's oh it just became porn um (laughs) And so it went from romance to porn to horotica. It also went down the horror path. So in the end, I had this thing, this abomination. Like if you've seen the Kurt Russell movie, the dog with all the everything, that's what ended up birthing out of me. And I sent it off to Netherworld. I'm like, Here you go. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. I'm sorry about that. And a few weeks later, Clara came back and she's like, cool um we do want to publish this because it's gonna sell like hotcakes what if I use your name um we're gonna give you a, a pen name for that one i'm like okay so that one is still available as jm adler um notch it's classy business classy <laughs> not classy business it's a ghost story slash horotica like every page is not for consumption by sensible minds. So. Well, we started late, so I let us go a little late, but we are in the lightning round now. So lightning Ooh. round. What is your favorite holiday dish? It's totally the same mood that we were in. Blood of my enemies. Oh, that sounds fair. 
hot, I, warm, congealed? Warm is better because it, it's warm. It's less chunky. Throw a little bit of chocolate shavings up in that motherfucker. Delicious. Make it fancy. I got gotcha. you. And that's a Christmas dish if you're wondering what holiday. <laughs> you're around family. That's when that's you have to drink blood. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah. And now I'm afraid to ask, but what, this is our classic question. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Uh, okay. Get ready for this, everyone. Hold on to your butts. Okay. okay. I do not like ice cream. <gasps> if I was forced at knife point to eat ice cream, I would take the blade. Oh. I know. I know. You know that friendship we had going? I don't know. Jane. I know. I, I mean, know. I like cookie dough. I guess if you toss that and held the ice cream part. <laughs> So just raw work? cookie dough. No ice cream, just raw cookie dough. Okay. That's my thing. Cookie dough ice cream. Spoon on a cone. I mean, that works. That's a compromise. Yeah, I think yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Dairy Queen dish. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> Let's see. Besides Celine Dion, who is your oh. favorite band or musician? Well, I would like to start by saying absolutely not Celine Dion. And if I was Justin <laughs> Trudeau, I would revoke her citizenship. So let's get mm-hmm. that out of the way. Okay. Okay. Um, my favorite to write to or in general, I can't have a favorite. I can't. There's too many. I've been asked this question before. I write to a lot of classical music, specifically, this, you'll laugh at this, the soundtracks to Game of Thrones or Westworld, Raman Jawadi. Aside, no, actually, that works. That guy's awesome. Uh, aside from being my number two on my Desert Island Five, um, he is an amazing composer and that music mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Um, when I'm writing the Ramnon series, I also listen to Coulter Wall, which will surprise a lot of people. He is, I want to call him folk, but he's not. He's old style country like Johnny Cash, but really deep voice. He's a kid. He's like in his early twenties from Saskatchewan. Um, but he's big, like he tours down here and he's got that Ramnon Western sound so I like I like listening to him a lot um I also listen to Courtney Love uh Lizzo um big fan of the I'm a 90s baby so I'm a fan of Nirvana and Garbage and whole Bush are we talking about music still yeah Okay. Uh, it, it, unless you went off the topic with Bush, I don't know. I mean, we could get back to Kevin's that. like, he knows, he knows what I'm getting at. Uh, like, I'm on board. That's right. <laughs> Bush and Voice and all those bands. Um, so yeah, all of that. Absolutely negative to the Celine Dion. Like, I would rather lose my hearing. Like, Mr. Holland's Opus, I would sign up for the real life version if I had to hear Celine Dion anymore. <laughs> well... Uh, considering you know you've got the whole razor thing going i think there's more celine dion in your future well i mean i use her i weaponized her see oh i see tried you tried so what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning yell (laughs) everything that crosses my path (laughs) that's the best answer yet oh what is your least favorite chore around the house um Picking up fucking socks. Mm, yep. It's the men in your house, man. See? It's, you're the only girl. Dog Random. 
Like, mm-hmm. I will go just rant. Like, there was a sock on my bass guitar the other day. I'm like, why is it even? It's not even in a room where everybody else is. There. There's little boy socks and big man socks. I should. I don't say little boy. He's a men's size 11 and a half now. He's almost um, taller than I am. Yeah. Yeah, he's for sure taller than you are now. Um, but he's there's socks everywhere. Like, I kid you not. I don't think I bought this many socks. Like, they're fornicating at night and reproducing. <laughs> In my couch, in my kitchen, in my di- in my music room, in my they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're in my car, they're on my lawn. Maybe the hole in everyone's driver uh, dryer is just at your house. There's a vortex. There's a black hole somewhere here because I even today when I was in my really grumpy mood walking around my COVID grumps, I'm like fucking socks everywhere. Go away, socks. We're all going barefoot. That's it. I'm burning them all. Screw the problem. I'm burning socks. Problem solved. I mean, we're in Texas. We only need them like, you know, a few weeks out of the year anyways. I mean, really. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where can fans find you and your work? Um, I like moldy rocks. So if you find one that's really moldy and gross, maybe with mm-hmm. fungus on it, just lift it up. I'll be right under there. Um, <laughs> I'm old. So uh, Jay Mazer. Jay Mazer. Everywhere. everywhere i do not tick a talk i do know not know what to tick on a talk or how ticking a talk works so i am on there you will not find me on there i do not dance with my books um i am on twitter ken forsland has been trying to sh- show me the way and teach me how to twitter i have not twittered well so you will find me on instagram and facebook i do not accept dick pics i do not want to my writing explained to me if you have questions i'd be happy to hear them if you have comments and criticisms that's great i'm not interested in politics mm-hmm. i am canadian i do not have an american political affiliation i'm not interested in yours um, i do not want to discuss religion i do not want to discuss the sexual orientation of goats i kid you not that what <laughs> There's just some things I'm not interested in. I mean, I might actually discuss the sexual orientation of goats. And further thought after I brush that off, I'm like, wait, that was probably a really interesting conversation. But um, yeah, but I could totally see us getting into that. I mean, really. we could. I mean, it sounds very much like something I would mm-hmm. talk about. But yeah, I welcome any kind of chitty chatty discussion of a respectful nature on social media, whether it pertains to writing or anything anything else within reason sounds fair excellent well now that jay mazer is your favorite author please make sure to review her work and review our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts and you can also follow us on twitch or subscribe on youtube and next week we will be back 8 p.m central on tuesday with dakota kraut we'll see you then